Good morning, St. Pete. This is a podcast about all things St. Pete, hosted by the one and only St. Pete is Super Cool. As always, this is Sudabe, and today I'm with Don and Chrissy with UB Haven um, and the Moiety and Rousert household, our local superheroes. <laughs> um, yeah, fun fact, they uh, definitely helped us with the bug when we adopted her. She was a psychopath, and uh, we I bombarded them. <laughs> so thank you for saving our dog. <laughs> How are you guys today? Great. How are you? Good. Good. We've missed you. We've missed you yes, too. Yeah. We also missed you. Yeah. She's she's doing really good. But as you can see, there's I don't think we're ever going to lose that energy in her. No. I don't no. think so either. No. We just have to control it. Yeah. That's exactly. What I that's what I I wanted when I came to you guys is controlling it. You know, the biting to stop. She channels it into good things. <laughs> yeah, which she channels it into all of her toys. You know, she still has a ton of toys. She channels it into um, jumping on grandma on a consistent basis. You know, grandma hates that, but that will we'll work that out. We like the word manage, which I feel like we taught you a lot of skills yeah. of like how to manage yeah. her hyperactivity and all of the energy that she has. Yeah. You definitely got an energetic dog that you adopted. <sighs> God bless us. I don't know how I'm, I'm going to be able to do it all, but yeah, she's she likes walking, which has been a lifesaver for us. Um, before I got pregnant, like her and I would walk through our neighborhood and we do like 30, 45 minute walks and then she would just sleep the entire night. And I was like, this is perfect, you know, but we can't really, I can't really do that so much anymore. Yeah. So let's get started. And I want you guys, how did each one of you guys get into dog training? I'll let you start. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I actually grew up on a farm in Ohio, mm-hmm. and we had dogs that were trained by my grandpa to do random things like bring in the cows or um, hunt certain animals, protect certain animals. You have real living. working dogs. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and they certainly weren't professionally trained, but there was, uh, you know, a, a relationship between the dog and the people that we benefited from the dogs in those ways. And then when I was younger, my parents hired professional trainers for our pet dogs. Um, My parents and I lived not on the farm, so the farm was kind of like a summer house type Mm -hmm. thing. And they hired a trainer that did uh, electric shock training on our dogs. And I witnessed a pretty brutal attack. Uh, One of my dogs attacked one of my really close friends when I was younger. And so in high school, I was uh, looking to get my first job, and I was looking at pet-specific jobs, and I stumbled upon PetSmart, and I worked there throughout high school and and my first couple years of college. And they actually sent, uh, they have a pet training academy there. So I went through their pet training academy and became a trainer through them and got a certification with the PetSmart Pet Training Academy. And then when I left PetSmart, I sought further accreditation with other training organizations and then opened UB Haven. Wonderful. So you've like you've had a whole, that's just like been your calling almost. I guess so, yeah. yeah. I, I never knew it you know, while it was happening, but you know, it definitely has been kind of my only track. <laughs> well, I'm sure that like your students are like, thank God. <laughs> They're gonna be listening to this and gonna be like, yes, yes. And then how'd you get started? So I actually started as a client of Dawn's back when we were called Sit Happens. Okay. Um, I adopted my dog, Willie. Mm-hmm. He was a rescue dog and had a lot of like previous trauma and some behaviors definitely started to show through. 
Um, so I started here as a behavior modification student. Okay. Willie is very similar to Bug, like yeah, memory wise, but that. also personality wise. Yeah. Like he is a handful. So yeah. I love him to death. He has taught me so, so much. Um, but at the time I was in ABA therapy. So I was working mm -hmm. with children in foster care doing okay. behavioral therapy. Um, and just knew that that was a really like draining profession for me. Long term, it was not sustainable for my own mental health. Um, and really fell in love with the process here. Okay. Um, I got to know Don really well, and then he was hiring, and it just kind of all fell into place because I became so passionate about mm -hmm. what we do here. Um, so then I apprenticed under him for several years, and now it's been over three years that I've been here. Um, and yeah, I've, I've loved every minute of it and getting to know the ins and outs of this business and um, continuing to just educate myself in this field like each day, so. Do you feel like your background and like just like what you were doing before has helped you with the dogs? Absolutely. So similar to Dawn, I did not grow up on a farm mm -hmm. or anything like that, but I did grow up in a very, I grew up in Massachusetts okay. um, in a suburban neighborhood where we did have like no fence or anything like that. So all the neighborhood dogs would like play with each other. Oh, and wow. it was just a much different lifestyle than like what we live here in You wouldn't see that today. Yeah. Exactly. Um, much more like family oriented mm -hmm. and just a controlled neighborhood really um, but we did have like electronic devices that we used and my dad also had a dog that was used as a hunting dog okay so I grew up around more like aversive training techniques mm -hmm. for some reason when I adopted my dog though that didn't even pop into my head but as I got into this profession, I really saw and like had a lot of memories of how those aversive tools over the years when I was growing up, like had a negative effect on things. Yeah. So. It's kind of interesting too, because like we wouldn't use tools like that with children who need help, you know? But I think there's like this disconnect between animals because they can't like speak to us really in yeah. a way that we speak to each other. And so, you know, I always wonder about that, like, okay, we're so quick to, like, hit a dog or, like, yell at a dog, but we wouldn't, that wouldn't be okay necessarily to a child. Yeah, or you'd get a real dirty look if you're doing that yeah. in the store with a kid. There's this weird, like, disconnect, but especially on TikTok, and I, I will say this, you see a lot of those battles between people who, they do use those techniques or they use, like, the more the shock collars and stuff like that. And then there are a lot of people on TikTok who are like you guys, they, they don't use it at all. And then right in the middle, you have the people that call themselves like balanced mm -hmm. yes. trainers where they use just what they feel is best fit for the dog. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, what do you think about all of that? Because just as a, a person alone who's not a professional, like it, it's sometimes really like confusing for me to see it all. Yeah, it is confusing and overwhelming. And uh, we say that to new clients all the time, that shopping for dog training is a very difficult job. Mm -hmm. um, we are an unregulated industry, which means that no one needs an accreditation or a certification to start a dog training business or start seeing clients. Um, all of the accreditations and education that Chrissy and I have are voluntary. Those are things we've chosen to become You guys just wanted the knowledge. Yeah. And so um, the thing about those TikTok trainers that really use the aversives, specifically electronic collars mm -hmm. that shock the dog, vibrate the dog, spray the dog, and then the, the metallic collars that strangle the dogs or you know, poke the dogs with prongs or other mm -hmm. things, those techniques unfortunately yield quick demonstrated results. They can demonstrate to the client, look, we've gotten your dog to stop 
pulling or stop barking. Um, but we, as trained professionals, see that we have now have a dog that's very stressed out. You know, yes, maybe they're no longer pulling on the leash or barking or whatever the case might be that the trainer was hired to fix. And um, now the dog is going to kind of suppress those things and still show lots of other signs of stress. And then other behavior problems typically will come out of that. Um, that's something that we see here a lot. And, you know, unfortunately, I think that dog training is very behind the times, especially in the United States. We're still kind of using techniques from very long ago that have been scientifically disproven as, as being ethical. You know, most of these techniques are quite unethical. Um, and then we have these, you know, trainers, as you said, that really advertise balanced training where mm -hmm. they want you to see that treats and, um, you know, positive reinforcement are a part of the story but they don't maybe have the knowledge or the tools to to be able to really get to the root of the behavior problems and so they then still will employ some other techniques like a shock collar or mm -hmm. a choke chain. Do you feel like those types of like techniques sometimes create a more aggressive dog? They can. Mm -hmm. I think it creates a very unpredictable dog. Yes. Okay. And Which the, no one wants. Right. Exactly. And in the case of barking, you know, a lot of people will punish a dog for barking, which most of the time is a stress-based behavior. Mm -hmm. So the dog learns to skip showing signs of stress and therefore for us is more unpredictable. I like a dog that will growl at me or bark at me or snap its teeth at me because that's a dog that's communicating to me and okay. doesn't just send me right to the hospital with stitches. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of dogs that have been trained with extensive shock collar work they are so trained to not show you any warning signs, to not communicate their signs of stress. So when a stressor does happen, those dogs might just go right for a really uh, harmful bite. Okay, so yeah. then I guess like my next question is like, what are good signs of stress that you can see in your dog? So you know, okay, my dog's getting stressed, like we gotta remove the situation, like remove them from the situation or solve this, this problem. Yeah, it can be things like Dawn just said, of like barking or growling, but there are even more subtle signs like mm -hmm. a tucked tail uh -huh. um, and maybe their hair on the back of their neck going up to indicate fear. We call that piloerection if it mm -hmm. goes from the base of their neck all the way down to the um, base of their tail. So that's a good indicator as well if they are heavy breathing and like panting. Um, almost if, like the sides of their their mouth are really tight like a rubber band mm -hmm. that's a good indicator of stress as well but then again from there they can kind of escalate to maybe barking or being more vocal um, even if your dog is like shying away freezing dogs, yeah Some dogs will freeze dogs yeah. communicate differently so fight flight and freeze are a good thing to to know about when it comes to seeing what our dog is doing in front of us and yeah. how they are responding to the situation. So then I guess should you also be concerned if you have a dog that just barks all the time? Because in a sense, isn't that just a stressed out dog? A lot of times, yes. Um, there is some bossy barking and some attention-seeking barking yeah. <laughs> that still is, is part of that. I still find barking to be stress-based. Um, hmm. I, I, my own dogs will bark at me for certain things that you know maybe aren't 
at the level of stress where I'm worried about it. Mm -hmm. Every dog will bark, so you're not going to eliminate barking with any dog. And some barks are for alerting, but yeah, um, yeah, I think like in the with what you just said, I have a picture in my mind's eye of like someone out at a restaurant and their dog's just barking at every single thing that's going by. That I think is very stress based. Yeah. yeah, when I sit down on the couch at the end of the night, if my dogs are barking at me, that's just a good indicator to me that I haven't really met their needs as yeah. well as I could have that day. And I kind of kind of give them some attention yeah. before I want to meet my own needs me. and relax. So. That's also a way that your dogs will bark at you, unfortunately. That's Barking stresses me out. It's yes. So. <laughs> it stresses me out. I, I really ask that because that's like a big thing I've been noticing about Bug lately is we have a, we're on the bottom floor now because we moved. Um, much more better environment for her. I really think cool. that's why she's been thriving. Oh, um, good. And, but we have a sliding glass door now. And it's never open because, again, it's like she'll just go right out into the, the street. It's not yeah. safe. But she barks at it all the time. I mean, a car pulls up. So, you know, they're doing construction, so they're always there. The neighbors come up, that she, and she's just... And I'm like, they have, they are allowed to go about their day. Like you're being, you're being rude, yeah. you know, or like she'll bark at just random things. If anyone makes a noise and she's upstairs, she's like barking at them. And I'm like, oh my God. I was like, I know you're stressed out. I just don't really know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> we love management techniques for that. So you can see like the window film on her door over mm-hmm. here. I might have to get um, one of those. Blocking, yeah. blocking visual access to mm-hmm. stressors as well as like the audible sounds of stressors. Yeah. So. We love sound machines. I have a sound machine going out my front door all day long to block out like tags jingling that walk by or the mailman opening up my mailbox. Small little things like that that will wake my dogs up from sleep and get them stressed out. I want to avoid. I want to keep them resting and keep them peaceful in their safe space. Yeah, from Bug's point of view, you, you've said that she's being rude. She thinks all these people are being rude yeah. to our house. And, you know, most dogs uh, really weren't bred to live in this modern life no. that we're living with them. And uh, most breeds are really kind of bred to be wary of strangers. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of breeds that, you know, were bred to be companion dogs and to be around a lot of people. But a lot of breeds were bred to really bond tightly with their families and mm-hmm of be wary of strangers and newcomers so with apartment living that just takes a little bit of extra creativity yeah. these days to keep a dog like bug from really needing to rely on dog training in the classical sense that we think of, yeah. of like sit or down or leave it or stop mm-hmm. barking or whatever kind of thing a person might be likely to go to in that moment where Chrissy and I are kind of more on the side of leaning towards managing your environment yeah. to prevent the barking from ever happening in the first place yeah I've like been seeing like a really weird uptick lately too and like people wanting like like working breeds or like really like guard breeds or like even goalie breeds like those breeds are really popular these days they're on trend and you know going from our old dog Lucci which he was so well trained he was such a good boy and you know Bug she's a wonderful girl but she needed more work than what Lucci needed um, and I'm thinking to myself, and I'm like, oh my God, you guys don't really know what you're getting yourselves into with Absolutely. some of these, unless you've had dogs your entire life and this is like your 13th dog. Yeah. Like, you know, Bug was only like my third dog. Yeah. So I really bit off more than I could chew. Um, but they're like really popular these days, mm-hmm. you know, instead of like the golden retrievers, the labs. Yes. Yeah. The, they are on trend, yeah. like you said. Um, something that we love to do here is families that we work with, that mm-hmm. we previously worked with their dogs, mm-hmm. if they're, or even new clients, 
they're looking to get a dog, we love to meet with them before they start that process. Okay. So we can really help them match up to a dog, even if it's a rescue, um, a dog that's gonna be a good fit for them and their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, people are getting dogs who are working breeds or they just need more education on that specific mm -hmm. breed or dogs in general that they don't have. And then these dogs are being rehomed at a really difficult age because yeah. it's they didn't expect what they what they were getting at yeah. all. So yeah. yeah, and I don't think you guys give yourselves enough credit for no, what you did with Bug. <laughs> I don't think you got yourselves in over your head. I think you were definitely overwhelmed at first, mm -hmm. but yeah. you guys were able to create compatibility. Yes. And mm -hmm. compatibility is not always a training goal. Um, as Chrissy was saying, you know, sometimes people come in here with a dog that is just not compatible for the life that they have, mm -hmm. either the environment that they live or a change that's about to make, be made in their life or whatever. We can't always train for compatibility. And you guys were really able to become compatible for Bug and are very compatible for it. She leapt right into our arms. <laughs> when when we were looking at dogs, I let him lead it because that was like the first real dog that he had, you know, got and trained and that was like his his baby. Yeah. And um, it was really hard when that dog passed. And so I, I said, you know, well, I'm, I'm not going to push for another dog. I'll let him lead that. And we were at a bar one day in his little doggy event, and he's like, I need another dog. And uh, we were looking at Pomeranians because <laughs> I had really wanted one, but th they were just ridiculously priced. And uh, we ended up finding a place in Tampa that would let us, like, adopt, and they were just a little bit more willing to work with people and not have such – there were strict guidelines, but they were willing to, you know, they were reasonable. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at one, Fiona. She was just a very lazy but sweet dog, you know. And uh, the woman said, I think Bug is better suited for you and the lifestyle that you want. And I said, okay, well, you know, I've already saw her profile. I wasn't interested in it, but, you know, how can you say no to, like, you and a dog? <laughs> we saw her, and she leapt over the fence. It was, like, oh, probably about this high and right into our arms. Aww. And I was done. I was like, that's it. She's... You she's know. ours. She's, she's home. Yeah. So she chose us from the get go. I think she was like, "These are my people. Let's go." <laughs> yeah. And um, we're young, so I I think for her, she needed people that were young that wanted to go out and walk forty five minutes and play with her for thirty minutes, and were willing to you know spoil her with toys galore and things like that. So it really just all worked out. Like it just all kind of fell into place the way that it needed to be. We are firm believers that. A lot of people too, they get the dog that they deserve, not necessarily the yeah. dog that they want yeah. at the time. Um, so I know me personally, Willie also chose me. He curled up next to my lap one day with a little oh. adopt me vest on. Oh. I was not looking to get a dog at the time. I lived with my sister who has a dog and a roommate who had a dog. And I was like, I have the best of both worlds. I have dogs to take care of, yeah. but they're not my responsibility. I mm -hmm. can get on a plane tomorrow and go on vacation if I want. Um, but Willie chose me and I really feel like he has taught me what I needed to be taught at that point in my life and it sounds like the same for you and yeah. yeah. this kid uh, when it comes out and be like look your mom's really patient these days because it's that dog right there <laughs> so I'm like so we're not give that dog any crap <laughs> I guess that's another question like I have for you guys too is honestly when kid, people are bringing in new kids again you see a lot of videos of kids just not behaving around dogs and then they're getting bit because the dog is like what are you doing pulling my ears mm -hmm. you know like what do you recommend to parents who are bringing dogs into this household and how to 
teach the child that you need to respect this dog. This isn't your plaything, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? Yeah, 90% of the results that our clients experience come from our conversations. So we love when clients are in the position that they can talk to us when they're planning for the baby coming rather mm -hmm. than after the baby has gotten to a year or two old and is more mobile and mm -hmm. now getting to the place where they're pulling the dog's tail and the baby got bit and all of these things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it is a lot of strategizing with the parents and preparing them and educating them on what to look for for the dog and child relationship and maintaining the dog's boundaries and meeting their needs while also you know fitting in this new life into your schedule mm -hmm. and it's not always natural it's, and you know every every dog is different and every family is different so it doesn't always come naturally for parents to to know exactly what to do with their dog and to set them up for success so it is just a lot of investigating and us getting to know the the ins and outs of the parents lifestyle um, virtual tours and in-home sessions are very helpful for that for us to see the where of the dog and where they're living and where the baby will be and all of those things yeah as kids get older I really like to educate children on like how to appropriately play with a dog mm -hmm. um, and then implement some household rules so two of my favorite are pet pet paws I always like a kid to learn to pet a dog twice and then back off. Mm -hmm. And we're talking like real gentle petting here, not pulling on their ears like you yeah. said or anything like that. And then backing off. The dog is going to tell you if they want more pets and more love yeah. or if they're like, okay, that was, that was enough. Hugging is never a thing that I want a child to like do to a dog either. And as kids get older, it's easier to kind of teach them these rules. Mm -hmm. Um, and then chasing too. So we always like a child to never chase after a dog. That's going to be helpful to their relationship. Um, you asked about body, or I kind of spoke on body language earlier yeah. about how a dog communicates their stress or mm -hmm. how they're feeling. And we love a book called The Dog Body Language by Lily Chin. Um, and that is very, like, there's a lot of pictures in there. And okay. it's like a little brief, like, caption underneath each illustration that says like what a dog is communicating when they look that way and I think that that's a wonderful resource for families with kids and dogs because it can really show the visual um, in a very easy way like I said they are illustrations and then the parent can teach the child of what this means when the dog looks like this to again help facilitate that communication. Have you guys ever thought about like hosting like seminars like where people can like bring their kids in and be like okay like you're not gonna listen to mommy and daddy but here are two <laughs> professionals like maybe you'll listen to them yeah, we do that a lot in private sessions. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, that sounds a little chaotic for a lot of kids. Just for me, I'm, I'm sure Christy would be better equipped at managing that than me. It's been a while since I've worked with children, so my skills have declined with kids. But yes, yeah, but yeah, we definitely have considered doing more seminars. I I used to do a lot more seminars back in the day, but um, we really have been mostly private session oriented mm -hmm. these days. Uh, especially since COVID. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely I can see how that could be a help for some families. Yeah. Yeah. It always yeah. is helpful to have, um, a, for, we see it a lot with couples specifically, where the dog is a, a point of contention with the couple and maybe causing some, some issues in the relationship, I and mean, understandably so. And um, when, you know, you said like, you're not going to listen to mom and dad go talk to this trainer like that's very helpful for couples a lot of the time to mm -hmm. almost have like a 
dog coaching, their dog therapist, or that's often something that we get called by our clients, um, just to give a neutral professional uh, viewpoint on the scenario and giving like one recipe that works for the household to yeah. minimize the need for any arguments or any like who's right, who's wrong sort of element. Yeah, that was great in our household. <laughs> know, because again, he like trained Luchi himself. Our two dogs that we had, like our family dogs, they didn't, they're, they didn't really, they probably could have used some basic obedience, but there wasn't any major issues. Yeah. Um, and so like, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I was like, that's it. Like she needs to go into training anyway. Um, and then it just became, well, that's not what her trainer wants. So if we try to deviate, no, that's not what her trainer said. Like stick to what the trainer said. And then my big phrase, I always say was like, well, I'm not paying this money for us not to listen to the trainer. <laughs> like, yeah. So, you know, we're going to do, you know, we're not, deviating to our own opinions it's very strict on what said so yeah you're you know helped us a lot out there but we appreciate that you followed our instructions i'm very good at following instructions i was well taught thank you dad um you know i had a very strict you know you didn't you didn't uh, go against what dad said very strict so i want to backtrack just a little bit and i kind of want to like know and understand how you behave in came to be i know before it was sit happens then you know you guys kind of switched your names um so how how did you decide to you know bring this here to st pete ah good question um i signed a no competition clause with the corporation that i was working for before so i couldn't train dogs for six months in the state of florida um, and so I actually got a real estate license and oh, wow. real estate for a little while. And while I was doing that, after that six months had expired, I started to seek external accreditation from the corporation and um, build up a small like in-home clientele where I would go and, and you know visit with people in their homes. Um, really at that time when Sit Happens was in its early days, I was the only employee of Sit Happens and if you had a dog and some money I would do pretty much anything that you wanted me to do. I did a lot of house sitting and toenail trimming and dog walking services and training still but really was just kind of getting my feet wet in the business. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually went back to school and I decided to move to St. Pete to go to USF St. Pete and I graduated there with an entrepreneurship degree. Okay. So while I was getting my degree, I was kind of applying all my skills of learning how to run a business to this little business thing that I had mm-hmm. kind of, you know, starting up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so after I graduated, I was looking for a space to start hosting my private sessions and group classes. and. Um, I saw that the dog bar was going in here on Central Avenue and just this stretch of Central that we're on has, mm-hmm. has uh, developed so much since you know I moved to St. Pete. Yeah. It's a very dog-centric neighborhood, so I decided on this storefront and uh, yeah, I just kind of have been changing ever like constantly it's it's been an ever-changing business and we're You've still been changing. this location though since the beginning right so you behave I'm sorry that happens was started in 2013 okay and that's when I was really mobile and okay. just kind of doing everything and then we opened this space mm-hmm. in 2017 so okay I've been here about six years nice do you think like you'll stay here for as long as you can or do you think you maybe you'll try to like expand like out if you can you know get to a bigger space um or are you just kind of like going with the flow 
Very good question. We're actually uh, going to be transitioning into not having a space at all. Okay. Uh, yeah, we've, like I said, we've been ever-changing. And one thing that we've learned is that this is a very artificial environment. And um, while it does have some perks, yeah. you know, it's a nice neutral meeting ground for clients. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the facade of a storefront really draws people in. Um, I think it also markets and sells unrealistic expectations at times where okay. people people think that their dog has to be a dog that is a Central Avenue dog mm -hmm. or is a dog that should be in a group of other dogs in a dog training class. And I find that the minority of dogs are set up for that environment and the minority of parents really find value in that. Um, really the majority of the results that we bring people are for a lifestyle that's unique to them in their home um, and we encourage them to lean into creating a really structured and safe and productive environment in their homes and then obviously strategize for other goals that they may have if it's realistic for their dog um, you know and that might be going for walks or going, you know, riding an elevator if you live in one of those buildings with your dog and just certain strategies that might be mm -hmm. unique to your environment. Um, so over the last couple of years, we've really transitioned into doing more virtual work with people okay, and consulting with people all over the country for stuff that's really relevant to their homes. And um, if and when we do get to a point where we want to get hands-on with the dog or the client wants us to get hands-on with the dog, we usually find that to be better suited to go to them, whether that be because they need help in inviting guests into their home, they don't know how to do that without their dog losing their mind, yeah. or they really struggle bringing their dog to the veterinarian, we go That's to the vet with them, yeah. yeah. So our, our training is just moving more towards like a virtual platform and with a sprinkling in of some concierge type services. It's like almost like creating like a little UV haven in every home of your clients. Yeah. Because yeah. this really is like the perfect environment for a dog. Yeah. Like I just, there's so much going on outside that like dogs just don't understand. Like they don't understand what these cars are. Exactly. They like, you know, like they might understand like, oh, this car takes me to a fun place or this car takes me to the vet. You know, I hate the vet. Yeah. Um, but they don't, the majority of them, they don't understand what any of this is. It's just all of this noise and movement and, you know, weird stuff. And why is that person on a two wheel, you know, thing? And um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, creating a little bit of UV Haven in everyone's home and life is probably what is needed in St. Pete. Yeah, and like Don said, just setting our clients up to mm -hmm. have realistic goals and yeah. realistic expectations. We live in a wonderful dog-friendly city, yeah. but again, you could be adopting your first dog ever and see all the dogs that are out on Central Avenue or sitting at cafes and just expect that the dog that you get mm -hmm. or rescue or even purchase from a reputable breeder is going to be the same and just you bring them out and they're going to lay down next to you and that's, and not, that's the not the reality if you do have a dog that's a good candidate for like a downtown lifestyle you still need to prepare your dog mm -hmm. for that setting yeah um so hopefully that's where we come in of helping people just strategize and get to know their dog so that we can have realistic goals um, i have a dog that would never sit next to me at a cafe but then mm -hmm. my sister's dog is more likely to maybe i can go grab a coffee with her and sit there for 20 minutes yeah she would never get on a paddleboard with me though but then willie loves to go paddleboarding so it's all about finding their preferences and that's what we like to help our clients do of like mm -hmm. know what is going to be successful with them and their yeah. dog yeah. 
I think COVID really taught all, us all a lot, but here specifically, we learned how virtual training is more beneficial for clients. Okay. Um, we, this place, since COVID, we've like opened back up and everything, we went kind of full full steam ahead, if you will, and got back to group training and, um, you know, hosted more of our sessions here and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But we've learned a lot that it's, it's really creating failure for people. And it's not always okay. in the best interest of the dog or the client for them to come in here in this artificial environment and the dog doesn't know if they're coming to the vet or if mm -hmm. they're coming to the groomer and so they, they might come in a little inauthentic uh, and then we've got to kind of work through that before we even start at baseline we're already kind of digging ourselves out of a hole for some reasons that don't need to be there where if we started with the client on a Zoom session or a FaceTime call and we're able to keep them in the comfort of their home to do this training. Um, we find that the person is more comfortable and more authentic doing that and they don't have to display or show us the failure in order for us to fix it and it really just creates a much more stress-free process for the dog and the human. Um, that's been definitely something that we've learned a lot since doing more virtual yeah. stuff. Like, Do you think too just like like I know, I know, and I'll like just resort back again to like Bug and that whole process with her is that she would come here and, and she'd be really great. She knew, oh, this is the playtime. He's giving me hot dogs. I don't get hot dogs at home. Like, and she, you know, a lot of the behavior we saw at home, she wouldn't exhibit here. And then sometimes we'd go home and we're like, okay, like, you know, you're, you didn't. Why didn't you do it there? Why didn't you show him what we're dealing with over here? Um, do you think sometimes putting the dog in a place they're comfortable allows them to kind of like show you those failures so you're like, oh, we can we can do this right here. Yes, you like Dawn said, the dog is authentic yeah. in their home. So Bug was a little inauthentic in yeah, this Yeah, liar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think I just I think for her, she just like again, like I, I said to you before we started, like she needs something like to do. She needs like a, a task. I think mm -hmm. training for her was that task. So she was on her best behavior. <laughs> like, oh, like I have tasks to do. gonna make me do some tricks. I'm get hot dogs. Like this is great. You know, she likes riding in the car. She'd know the exact turn to get here, and she'd lose her mind. Um, so I think sometimes, like for the dogs too, they're like it's like they're going to an amusement park yeah. instead yeah. of us. You know, yeah, and you know, in Bug's story, you experience something that's very classic. Where you know, in the beginning days, there was little demonstration going on with Bug. It was mostly talking to you guys about mm -hmm. your daily patterns and mm -hmm. just strategies for her. Now, I may have been demonstrating some training things mm -hmm. that Bug can do for me still that she likely can't do for you. Yeah, and that yeah. is because of my you know yeah. training and my expertise, which does not help you in the long run. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to turn my clients into a dog trainer. Yeah. I just want to be able to give them the skills they need to enjoy their dog the best that they can. Yeah. And I was demonstrating with Bug probably to keep her quiet and to kind of keep her pacified so that I could carry on my conversation with you. And that sort of multitasking doesn't allow me to do what I can do best, which is really investigate yeah. your life because it's really the human that you're trying to fix. Yes. Well, you know, like a, a, a lot of the times, like it stems like the the human is kind of like not helping a behavior the dog already has or is creating the behavior um in the dog like you know again like i, I go back to it she doesn't like loud noises she doesn't like kind of like when there's like sudden noise she's like mommy you know like why does there need to be just this sudden stuff it stresses her out 
She doesn't like when there's a lot of people who are bigger than her in one room, stresses her out. So what does she do? She jumps and she nips and she's like, you know, like you guys just need to get away from me. So we had to learn how to manage all of that. She doesn't like it. That's never going to go away. The adults in the room are going to have to kind of learn to adjust their behaviors, mm-hmm. you know? And so I just, I, we go upstairs and we watch um, right now. We're really liking Life Swap. And that's what <laughs> we do. And we, we go up, that's what I do with her. We go up there and we watch TV together and she's so much more relaxed yeah. when she starts to get anxious. But I had to learn and, and get that knowledge from you that like, oh, this, this is the issue. Yeah. You know, like I'm not helping the situation right now by expecting her to stay down here. Yeah, she doesn't have to be expected to stay no. down here, which is a She has a whole thing. room upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But that, I think there's an imagery that's kind of shoved in our face in the United States and our media. You know, it's mm-hmm. every, every family compares their dogs to the dogs that they saw on Disney. Mm-hmm. And we all think our dogs need to be like Air Bud. And the fact is, Bug is not a golden retriever. She's no. not a Labrador. She wasn't trained by professional movie star trainers. Yeah. Um, she's a rescue dog from a shelter, and you guys don't know her past, and you did the absolute best that you could and yeah. sought help right away. And, yeah. you know, we, we want to make sure Bug can be Bug without trying to turn yeah. her into something that she's not. Yes. Yeah. No, I just want I want Buggy to be Bug. Yeah. yeah. I just <laughs> want her to be, you know, Bug <laughs> You know? But I, I think, you know, there's going to be a day where I'm going to, like, miss all of her craziness. And yeah. I'm like, oh, like, this dog is so peaceful. Like, <laughs> you know, like, Lucci was just, he was older, too, mind you, by the time that I had met Cody. He was just much older, so I didn't get to see his crazy face, but apparently it was there. Um, and he was just so peaceful. Like, he just, he didn't want to be pet, and he didn't want to cuddle. He was like, what's up, bro? <laughs> and, um, of course, I always wanted to, like, cuddle with him. I remember, like, one day he just laid across my chest, and I was like, take pictures. This is never <laughs> happening again. Like, once in a lifetime opportunity. It really was, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, he didn't, like, la- he didn't live much longer after that. So it really was, like, a last-minute opportunity. He was like, okay, I approve of you. Like, Aww. I don't think I got much time left, but I approve of you. And I'm like because I was never oh. <laughs> yeah. so he was again he was just he was the perfect dog so then I think when we got bug he like Cody was like this isn't this isn't Lucy like she doesn't and I'm like well she's not him like you know there's yeah. gonna be a whole we can't put her in his shoes like yeah. that was a, a once in a lifetime dog yeah 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 but that's a hard you, thing. you got to know her well and mm-hmm. so that's a good outlook to have of this is a different dog that we have yeah. right now and we need to appreciate her for her yeah and we obviously love to get to know every dog that comes through mm-hmm. here but um going back to like these changes that we're making it really is to help set the dog up yeah. and their human up for success because we're not the ones living with their dogs. Mm-hmm. So we love to make friends with them and see them for an hour. Yeah. But we want you to have the skills of like how yeah. to live with Bug. Yeah. Is there, do you guys have like a favorite dog that you've trained so far? And you can be honest, I, I won't be mad. Um, <laughs> Some I, other people might be mad. But <laughs> I have very notable dogs and dogs that I've been fortunate to work with very extensively Mm -hmm. and one that really sticks out in my mind is the dog called Mavis that we worked with and we still work with. Um, She moved to North Carolina several years ago but we still work with her virtually and um, when she comes to town sometimes her mom will just book a private session with me just because it took me so much work to build a relationship with her. Um, and she's a dog. I, I particularly am drawn to the dogs that really make me work for it. Okay. Um, dogs that really want me dead at first. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and then I earn their friendship over time and earn their trust. 
um, that those are the dogs that really stick out to me and Mavis was one of the more extreme cases for that okay and she's a little pity just like bug she's Aww. a little bigger than bug um, very nervous girl and she you know just has a tight inner circle and I'm lucky enough to be in her inner circle she's like I approve of you yeah <laughs> yes. those hot dogs worked yeah <laughs> popcorn yeah, is her favorite popcorn. Popcorn yeah. fan, is popcorn so. safe to give the dogs can you in moderation. Moderation. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. Just be careful with what you put on your popcorn. Yeah. She Not like to... soaked in butter yeah. and salt and all of that. But yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's like one. I'm very strict with like what we give her, but like she likes. She's like, look at me. She's like, you're really not gonna share that damn popcorn with me. And I'm like, I don't think you can have this. <laughs> like she likes chocolate. I. She really like she like she like not that we give it to her, but she bites you for it. She doesn't yeah. sit politely. Um and. For some, I joke with her like that. She's like a little alcoholic. For some, when we have alcohol around, she loses her mm. mind. We, we do have to put her up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. One of my dogs really likes wine. He, he will try to stick his nose right in your wine every chance he gets. Yeah, I, I don't understand that. I don't yeah. either. Did you have a dog that you're like, oh my God, I love this is my favorite. Like, I love this dog. Um, There have been a lot of dogs who have we have worked with since mm-hmm. I have been at UB Haven, um, who kind of like, like Don said, like the dogs that like stress you out at first, whether mm-hmm. that be their barking is super loud and overwhelming, um, or they just do not want to be your friend at first. Those are definitely the dogs that are most rewarding to work with long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, but me being in this profession for three years, Don has been in it for 10 years and has his whole Mavis story and all of that. I've yet to have the dog come across oh. my table that I'm like, this is it. This is the one. Oh, that's going to be such a good moment. We definitely have a handful of dogs that I've been like, oh, you know what? Like six months, I'm like, oh my gosh, like we, you were hard at first and like now we love you. So those dogs are definitely the best, but I'll I'll wait for the day that a dog wants me like real dead and then we're besties (laughs) and I'm sure that would be my one. That's going to be like such a good moment for you. Cause like you said, he's like 10 years of experience. And then like when you get to that point, you're like, oh yeah, I've kind of seen it all, you know, like not much surprises me anymore, but you're in that sweet little golden age where like you have like enough experience where you're like, you feel confident in what you're doing and you can like take like ownership of it exactly like you're getting you're still it's still exciting new yes absolutely i'm in a very like transitional phase mm -hmm. of taking on a lot more roles here um and definitely feeling much more confident in my role at uv even and knowing that i do have the skill set to take on more difficult cases now so it's a it's a very exciting place to be here yeah very exciting now is there a dog where you're like i don't know if i can help you guys like, I don't know if this dog can be, because, like, I see, like, sadly, a lot of that, too. It's where, like, behavioral, um, like, euthanation, where mm-hmm. the dog, like, just can't be helped, yeah. and so the best course for it is euthanization, mm-hmm. and, like, is that a real thing? Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. It, it doesn't happen every day, but uh-huh. um, I can definitely recall several times that that's been the case over my career. Um, I, I never make that call without mm-hmm. extensive collaboration with mm-hmm. the client's veterinarian mm-hmm. and without making sure I take every possible step I can before then. But there definitely have been cases where it is the most ethical thing for the dog, for the dog's parent, for the community. Oftentimes the community may be at danger for some of these dogs mm-hmm. that, that I'm, I'm thinking of. Um, but yes, behavioral euthanasia is a very heavy and deep topic. 
Um, we actually partner with a couple of uh, hospice veterinarians that do in-home euthanasia, and mm -hmm. I've attended most of my clients that have had to do behavioral euthanasia. I attend those euthanasias, and it's very much like a ceremony. It's a spiritual experience, mm -hmm. and um, we, we do it with the greatest respect for the client and the dog. And mm -hmm. again, we always make sure that when we do make those those calls that every every single person has been contacted, every conversation has yeah, been had yeah. and we leave no stones unturned. Yeah. And compatibility, getting back to compatibilities, there are other times where it's not, you know, it's not in the dog's best interest to be euthanized and maybe it's in the dog's best interest to not be in the home that it's in and mm -hmm. we have uh, to do our job to convince the client and help the client make the decision to rehome the dog. and. Um, we also are here for support through that. There's there's no judgment in these conversations when it's done correctly and yeah. uh, responsibly. And you know sometimes it's just not a good fit, and you try everything that you possibly can. And yeah. rehoming is a very viable option sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's better than you know the other options. You know are just like dropping off or leaving. I know I I had one friend. She's like she's like hey like can you help me like try to like figure out what to do with this dog like I found her but I cannot keep her and I was like well like I hate to say it, like if you have to take her to a shelter like pet pal mm. like they're local I hear great things they care about their animals I was like you know like that's like if you, if you really can't rehome her and you cannot keep her in the house and you just found this dog on the street and you're trying to do a nice thing I was like pet pal might be able to help you yeah you know I'd like we do the best to empower our clients in those positions and uh, you know I'm working with a client right now who's working on rehoming their dog mm -hmm. because not to scare you but they're having a baby and or mm -hmm. they they actually already had the baby and yeah. the dog just is not doing well with the baby mm -hmm. in the house it's yeah. showing too many signs of stress and there's been too many close calls for the baby's safety and oh, yeah. um, so they're they're looking to rehome her and we're, we're working with them to support them for advocating for that dog and mm -hmm. Um, you know, being vulnerable and writing the bios on these dogs and making sure that where this dog goes is its forever place and yeah. that we can really tell as much information as we have about the dog and the good and the bad to set the dog up for success in that transition and make sure it finds the right place. Yeah. Do you guys think that like shelters and like animal rescues should do a better job in vetting the animals because like you said it's not very regulated um you know the dog stuff is not very regulated and um you know a lot of times like how do shelters really know what these the issues are with the dog especially with the dogs being like inauthentic so to speak mm -hmm. but like do you like think like again when we got bug i was like they should really partner with trainers and experts really understand what the issues with these dogs are, their pros, their cons, and be a little bit more honest with the people who yeah. are potentially adopting them. Because if I knew, you know, when we came home, she can't be on a leash, she nips, she jumps, she's showing, you know, some, to me, they were signs of aggression. Um, I would have had, I, I would have already done everything with you guys that I needed to do. And when we got her, she would have immediately been in mm -hmm. and we wouldn't have had those growing yeah. things. Transparency is important. So I do think that there's room for being a bit more transparent, mm -hmm. but also what you said of 
is the dog being authentic. So mm -hmm. especially in a shelter setting. Yeah. I think that we see a lot more authenticity when it is a foster-based rescue because okay. the dog is getting comfortable in a home and in a space. Okay. So rescues are able to be more transparent in that setting or in that situation. But in a shelter setting, a dog can be so shut down that there could be aggression, there could mm -hmm. be signs of stress and anxiety and all of that. This dog could be extremely wary of strangers or dog aggressive, but all of that could potentially never come out in a shelter setting because the dog is just so overwhelmed and shut down. So I think that when in terms of that, it's to no fault of the rescue uh -huh. because they just didn't see it. Yeah. Um, to the conversation of rehoming, I think when a dog is being rehomed, mm -hmm. we need to be really transparent about the reasons yeah. why the dog is being rehomed. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if that is always so transparent. So I think that there is a little bit of room for improvement, but I also think that I truly believe all of the rescues out there are doing yeah. the best that they can. Yeah. They are so overpopulated, unfortunately, and just really in need of help and support so then should we be doing more in a sense to where like fostering is something that people want to be able to do they have the resources to do and making a like a doggy foster system where we can put these dogs into fosters and maybe see what the issues are and you know and then again we can create that transparency there so these dogs aren't necessarily being rehomed people know what they're getting themselves into and they're willing to take the steps yeah. to you know yeah there's a lot of burnout in this industry and a lot of compassion fatigue mm -hmm. so yes i think that there's so much room for improvement in the vetting process mm -hmm. for the rescue group and knowing what dogs to take on and what dogs to, to put place in certain homes and to foster. But unfortunately, in current conditions, a lot of these rescues are just operating from such a place of burnout. They're, their mm -hmm. resources are stretched so thin and they see so much trauma on the daily, mm -hmm. on the daily basis that they're just trying to save as many dogs as they can. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think that any of them have the intention of being dishonest or deceitful mm -hmm, in, yeah. in these, these moments where they adopt dogs that might not be a good fit for certain families. But uh -huh. yeah, there's such a turn and burn aspect where they're trying to get these dogs spayed, neutered, vaccinated, and in a home as quickly as possible. And um, you know, unfortunately, it's it's numbers. There's there's more dogs in these circumstances than there are homes that are good fits for these dogs. Okay. So it's it's yeah. it's a struggle. It's um, something we are currently working on with a couple of local rescues. Okay. We, we've got partnerships where we um, are putting together resources for their foster families so that they really set the dogs up for success in mm -hmm. their homes and yeah. set the adopters up for success and just try to make it as smooth and stress-free on the dog and bring out the dog's authenticity as quickly as possible mm -hmm. so that they know who this dog is when yeah. they're adopting them out. So yeah. then, like it also sounds like there should be more like I'll say well I'll say state and like local like regulation in a sense to like to help or to offer resources because we don't necessarily want these dogs roaming the streets you know like having hundreds of dogs roaming the streets isn't the answer either you know maybe in a sense we should have some people from above step in and say okay well like how can we help you guys be successful because again it's like can we can you imagine a hundred dogs like ro just stray dogs roaming the streets of downtown st pete to be a madhouse yeah. so we need them but it sounds like 
they they need way more resources and help that they're just not receiving. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the bigger problem. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, just getting back to the fact, dog training is an unregulated industry. Mm-hmm. You can't be a realtor without having so much education and so much training and so much testing. But dog training, where you're actually like providing coaching and training for a family and another living being, you have to have no certification or experience to do that at all. And I think that that just speaks to how we think of the pet industry in the mm-hmm. United States. There are countries in Europe that have require adopters to go through six months of training before oh, wow. they're eligible to even adopt a dog. And in these same countries, spaying and neutering is not the norm, and they do not have overpopulation in their shelters. So the fact that there are unspayed, unneutered males and female dogs in Europe that are living without creating overpopulation issues and homes that are providing forever homes for these dogs mm-hmm. and you know i think that that just speaks to the education level and that's something that we're lacking in the united states in Maybe many we ways need to yeah. like just take a few ideas from over there yeah you know? it doesn't make us any less it just no, means like <laughs> you know it's, we might need some help <laughs> you know um i did want to ask you guys about that too because like you said you two have a lot of accredita- accreditation and knowledge that you yourself said i'm gonna go get i'm gonna go seek that knowledge when people are finding um, trying to find a trainer. Again, the only reason why I knew you guys were here because the St. Peter's super cool. We followed you. I was like, bam. Um, but how? what should people be looking for when they want to go find a trainer who is, is in a sense, the same category as you guys? They have those accreditations. They didn't just say, I love puppies. I want to go train them. Like They took the steps that you guys took to make sure they know what they're doing. Yeah, I really respect when we sit down with a client for a meet and greet and they ask us those questions. Okay. Of like, what is your background? Mm-hmm. How did you get here? And what are your accreditations? Okay. Um, and they might not know, like, the answer to what the answer should be or anything mm-hmm. like that, but they are kind of, like, interviewing us to a degree in okay. that sense of, like, knowing that they're, we're going to be a good fit for them and we know what we're doing. Um, but it's really hard out there. There are, I would recommend that you stay away from any like aversive tools so Mm -hmm. if you um the website or the advertisement or marketing or anything like that uses aversive tools i would kind of stay clear of that Um, but yeah a question of what are your accreditations and how did you get to this place Mm -hmm. and are you capable of taking this on I think the language is really important to pay attention to and easily overlooked when shopping for dog trainers. Um, The word command is not Mm -hmm. something I like. It's not something I like to see. Mm -hmm. I think there are good trainers out there that unknowingly use that word. Mm and um, I think that word is... just speaks to a heavy hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that also a trainer that appreciates being challenged, you know, I think that's kind of jumping off of what Chrissy was saying. I like when a client challenges me and wants to know the why behind what I'm asking them to do, mm-hmm. whatever the instruction is. I don't want them to blindly do what I'm telling okay. them to do. And I want them to understand fully what, what our instructions are and why we're asking them to do that. So I think the clients that get the most out of our services really challenge us in those ways and, and you know, not in a cant- cantankerous kind of way, but in a way of like yeah. wanting to get to the bottom of fully understanding how they can best help their dog and how they can live with their dog most peacefully. Okay. Trust your gut too. So there are so many times that we work with 
clients who have gone to a trainer who has done something that didn't help their dog mm -hmm. and the person most of the time says to us it didn't feel right in my gut and I paid this professional to do it any or to do it so we went with it anyways trust your gut if a trainer says something or does something to your dog that gives you pause this is your dog and you need to advocate for them so feel free to say no to a trainer um, and not feel bad about that Okay. I think another cautionary sign is a trainer that's quick to jump to demonstration, a trainer that's quick to show you how good they are at their skills of training your dog. Um, again, my skills of training your dog are irrelevant until you understand how to live a daily routine with your life, dog, with your dog that keeps them safe and mm -hmm. keeps them healthy and happy. And that usually takes several sessions of doing that mm -hmm. before I'm doing any demonstrating with yeah. your dog, if ever. There's many clients that I work with where I never need to demonstrate with their dog. I never need to meet their dog. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, again, something that I think is overly done in the industry is trainers feel this this pressure in the beginning days with clients, and I've certainly made this mistake in my career, of trying to show you how impressive their techniques are and how quickly they can get your dog to demonstrate X, Y, or Z. And I think that that's a sign of a um, unseasoned trainer and a trainer that maybe doesn't have your best interest in mind in the, in the long run. What do you guys think of like the board and trains where they board your dog and they're training your dog. Um, I know that came up in the conversation a few times with Bug and I was against it because in my eyes, one, I don't want my dog in someone else's house. Don't know what's going to happen there. And two, how am I supposed to like, like understand these training techniques if you're doing it and then you just bring the dog back to me? Like, I don't, I just, that doesn't comprehend in my head. Yeah. You know, like, what do you, are you guys like, do you guys think they're good ideas? Do you think... They just don't make sense. I think your intuition is good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you answered the question yeah. for us. But. Full transparency, there was a season of time where I offered a board and train program and it was our biggest seller here. I had a wait list for over six months long for wow. the program and it lasted for over three years of me doing that. Um, of course, I'm, uh, I only use ethical training techniques mm -hmm. and I really don't employ anything aversive. I would never do anything to cause pain, fear, or intimidation. Yeah. That I will say is the minority of the board and train programs that I have encountered. Yeah. Um, but in that, I learned through my mistakes. You know, having a revolving dog in my home um, did not fix those do that dog's problems. Mm -hmm. I, I could send that dog home demonstrating very impressive skills that they uh, mastered in their two weeks or one month that they spent with me. Uh -huh. um, but very quickly, those dogs would go back to their homes and in the follow-up sessions, all of that work that would be done would be undone in those first couple weeks. And mm -hmm. then I would be working with the client in private sessions. And, you know, typically I think that the expectation of a board and train program from the client's point of view is that they're going to get a perfect product when their dog comes home and then they have to do no work for it. Yeah, and there's a lot of work involved yeah, yeah there's follow-up and training is lifelong so the dog you have at six months when you send it to a board and train program is not going to be the dog you have when it is two years or five years mm -hmm. or when you move or when you have a baby mm -hmm. and add a new family member to your house mm -hmm. so just like us dogs are ever-changing yeah and there's gonna need to be some skills added in or some new management techniques mm -hmm. being used or anything like that so 
a month or two weeks with a trainer is not going to necessarily help your dog. Yeah. I worry about anything that goes on behind closed doors as You well. don't know what's happening. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just like, it like kind yeah. of like weirds me out. Like even when I have to like, there's only three people I leave Buck with that I trust. And I have a lot of people I can leave her with. Yeah. I just don't trust everyone. I leave her with it. Like, you know, and that's my sister and Pam and Steve. Yeah. You know, again, Steve, that man's had dogs. Okay. All shapes and sizes, colors of the rainbows. I trust him. Bug loves him. Good. Cool. He'll follow our rules. He's always been, you know, okay, this is the command, da da da. He's never questioned it. Pam, that's Bug's favorite person. Okay. Pam and Steve, Bug's favorite person. She used to be a little bit more respectful of Pam Pam, but you know, that's another <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. And then my sister Soraya, believe it or not, she, I don't know what it is about her, like completely different dog around her and those are the three like i could never leave my dog with somebody else yeah. like you know like if you guys are in home stuff and i was like oh i could leave with don and christy like oh perfect that dog will be more than situated you know for the weekend that i'm gone um but yeah like i don't i don't know if i could give my dog to a board and train yeah. like yeah. what's really like happening the tiktok training that you mentioned yeah. earlier there is a lot of horrific videos out there on tiktok of board and train situations which is just neglect and abuse, in my opinion. I read it. And really, we are just suppressing the behaviors yeah. and punishing the behaviors to an extremely unethical degree. Or like dogs dying, and yeah. then the, the trainer not like trying to like cover it up somehow. Like, yeah. I would burn a house down. Well, getting awesome. back to the burnout and compassion fatigue that is prevalent in this industry, I really experienced that to the highest degree that I've ever experienced it mm -hmm. when I did board and train. Okay. I had a revolving, misbehaved dog living in my home for three <laughs> years. So every two weeks, it was right when the dog started to get good and on my dog's routines and like started to be like, all right, you're with it. I'm enjoying your company. Mm -hmm. I would have to send them back home and then get a new mess of a dog that would want to pee on my furniture. and. She this was before my three years here. So Don was BK. doing this all on his own. Yeah. And yeah. with like zero support of another employee here or mm -hmm. another teammate yeah. to help him out. And so yeah. that's Most a lot. trainers do work alone. Most mm -hmm. trainers don't have the luxury of having a teammate. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, again, when you are at that level of burnout and you're just having a misbehaved dog, you get to a place where you don't enjoy being around dogs. Mm -hmm. Dogs stress you out and like... Um, you know, I empathize with the trainers in this position. It's it's something that's so commonly shown to us on TikTok and mm -hmm. on in the media that board and train is a viable option. And you know, it, the the money aspect of it, it's it's nice to collect that amount of money up front and advertise these unrealistic expectations yeah. for it, but. You know, you don't really satisfy your clients. It's not not fair to advertise that this two weeks is going to fix the dog to the client, mm -hmm. and it's really unfair to the dog long term if they're mm -hmm. with a trainer that is burnt out and maybe not treating the dog as as kindly and yeah. lovingly as as it should be treated. I I will say as like a testament to your guys' training. You know, when we move from the one place that we were at Clearwater to here, it was a very sudden move. So, you know, the savings that I had that was going to her training was gone. So then, you know, I was like, okay, well, you gotta try to find a way to come back. And that's been difficult. Um, but she's never regressed. Like even with her issues with dogs, other dogs, like, you know, you guys witnessed that 
she hasn't regressed. Yeah. You know, I can walk her past the dog and be okay. I've had a few instances where the dog showed them a little of aggression, so then she wanted. But I, I, I felt confident enough to, oh, we, we got this. Like, come yeah. on. She's never regressed. And again, that's without using any aversive techniques. Yeah. You need to board and train. It, it really was just her coming here and, and doing a few tricks and having fun. Like, and getting hot dogs. But I think know? it's more of the skills that you learned. Mm-hmm. Those Absolutely. are sustainable. Yeah. When, yeah. when the human is taught the skills, they can do it with this dog for the rest of their life. Yeah. They can carry over those skills to the next dog that they adopt. Yeah. So yeah. I don't expect that you will ever regress. And therefore, I expect that Bug will be yeah. only where we left off. Yeah. So she's like, she stayed like, Kind of right there which is i'm perfectly happy with good you know like she's you know obviously not going to improve because we don't have the, i don't have the skills to improve cody doesn't have the skills to improve i don't care about that as long as she doesn't regress backwards because then i'm going to be screwed <laughs> like then we're going to be an issue and i'm like okay we're taking out a credit card um thank you guys so much for sitting and and talking with us and you know just exploring what you behave in is I hope you guys always have success and always have doggies in your doors because there's plenty of dogs in St. Pete and they are not all well behaved. I've seen it. They're not all you behave and approved is what I like to say. So thank thank you guys. Thank you so much. This has been so great. Thank you for being such a good client with your own dog. It's been wonderful to see you guys create a lifelong bond with Bug. Yeah, she's doing really good. You guys really helped with that. Good. We love to see it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to St. Pete. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can catch all the fun conversations we will have with our local artists and business owners. For some fun behind the scenes, follow us on Instagram at Good Morning St. Pete. Thank you all for listening and remember to follow us